You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. And today I am joined with my partner in crime, Josh Rayleigh. Josh and myself last week went to the Archery Trade Association show in Indianapolis, and today's conversation revolves around uh, interesting products that we saw while we were there. Uh, We talk about trail camera technology, we talk about um, clothing, we talk about e-bikes, we talk about uh, saddles and climbing sticks, and a whole bunch of other different products that we thought were cool and interesting. I also give a breakdown of some of my favorite bows that were there. Uh, Not all bow manufacturers attended this year, but I'll tell you this, um, we definitely, uh, I I went through and I I shot all the bows that are there, and I I give a recap on that. So today's a really fun episode where we get to talk about the trade show and some of the new products that um, have been introduced or are about to be introduced. Now, uh, if you're listening to this on the nine finger chronicles feed thank you very much um if you're listening to this on the uh hunting gear feed thank you very much if you're listening to this on the network feed thank you very much so wherever you're listening to this please go to itunes leave a five-star review let everybody know that the hunting gear podcast the nine finger chronicles podcast the sportsman's empire uh, podcast network as a whole is amazing and those five-star reviews just benefit us and we would really appreciate it plus the content is five stars so win-win all right so before we get into today's episode though i do want to take an opportunity here to talk a little bit and uh, we talk we talk about tethered in today's episode and some of the new products that they that uh, they've come out with they have a new saddle um they have saddles hunting accessories they got climbing sticks they have new climbing sticks so everything that you need to know or or products that you would need to become a saddle hunter tethered offers those so uh go check out tethered's website check out all the information uh and uh, videos and trip tips tricks and tactics from other serious saddle hunters that's going to make you a better saddle hunter uh next on the list is hunt stand this is kind of the method that I use. I'm on hunt stand all the time. 
and it's anytime I have downtime, instead of scrolling through social media, I will pick up hunt stand. I will open up my hunt areas. I'll, I'll change the maps around a little bit. And what I'm doing is I'm being present all year round. And when you're present all year round, you can um, basically test your access routes, test your uh, the wind. You know what the what would the what what is the wind going to do if I need to get into this tree stand on this wind direction? What how do I access it from this? And you know you just kind of you you look at your past journal entries, and what that does is it allows you to forecast deer movement for certain types of year. It allows you to just be better prepared when the time comes to actually get out in the woods. And you're more, you're just straight up more efficient. So go check out huntstand.com and all the functionality that that uh, hunting app brings. And also be sure to check out the pro whitetail platform that has recently been introduced. And if you're a serious whitetail guy, it's a no brainer to pick up. So uh, huntstand.com, go check it out. And then the next product that I want to talk about is the Tacticam. If you are, if you're the kind of guy who likes to, you know, document your hunts, show your friends, show your kids, show your wife, you know, really anybody what you're seeing while you're in the woods, definitely go check out the new 6.0 version of the Tacticam. It's 4K. It has image stabilization. It has an LCD screen. Uh, it's easy to use. It's easy to set up on your bow or your gun. And, and it just allows you to capture memories, man. And, and that's really what it's all about. And, and so if you're looking to document your hunts, go check out Tacticam. Tacticam's new 6.0. Go check it out. It's pretty badass. Uh, I'm going to be using one on my turkey hunts this year, and so I'm looking forward to using it. And last but not least, you know, we got to try to give back in any way. So the only thing I'm going to say, it's not really a commercial, it's just something that I'm kind of passionate about, and that is 2% for conservation. So if you are interested in giving back in 2023 and you own a business or as an individual you want to become two percent for conservation certified you want to learn what that's about and what what how that benefits not only the natural resources that we love to conserve but how it benefits us you can go check out fishandwildlife.org all right so there's that there's my good deed for the day there is uh me getting my uh my checks Right. So I've uh, I've paid the bills. I've given back. And now it's time to get into a really interesting conversation about this past ATA show with my man, Josh Raley. Enjoy. All right. Joining me today on the Hunting Gear podcast is my cohort at this year's ATA show. Is cohort a word? What does cohort even mean? I, sometimes I use words that I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> That's all right. It sounded great. Yeah. It sounded Whatever professional. It yeah okay all right so cohort uh is that like partner in crime or uh i don't know friend or i don't even know what the, what it means do you know yeah you don't want to say companion because that might get weird but <laughs> yeah hey we did sleep in the same hotel room but hey different beds different that's beds. right there you go different beds. There, that's right there we go um so let's see here um ata show Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to recap it. How, just like overall, this is the first time you've ever been to uh, the ATA show. As a 
I guess I would call a, a passionate hunter as uh, someone who takes this stuff seriously. Maybe you're a little bit of a gear junkie. Uh, what were your thoughts on your first ATA show? Man, I thought it was really, really good. Um, you know, I heard a lot of people say, hey, attendance is down from what it used to be and that kind of thing. Yeah. And not quite as many, you know, manufacturers are here. But, man, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know that I could have handled a lot more. Yeah. With it being my first show. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Some of the bigger names in the archery industry, like Matthews, Hoyt, Elite, as far as bow manufacturers are con- were concerned, uh, they weren't there. I'm sure there were some other uh, pretty big brands that weren't there as well uh, that didn't show up. But for the most part, you got a, I mean, at least you got a taste of what the hunting industry side of things was kind of all about. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the cool things was getting to see some of the newer kind of up and coming brands. Yes. Um, I would, I would think, you know, especially when it comes to like the tree saddles and climbing sticks and a lot of that stuff, you, a lot of brands that weren't even around four and five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what what's cool about that that it tells me that there's still lifeblood and there's still innovation in this industry. Okay, you know, usually hunting could be kind of like when it comes to marketing, when it comes to technology, when it comes to things like social media and digital anything digital like the hunting industry is just now doing what the rest of the world was doing 10 years ago so like we're always behind in that manner but it what it what those news companies tell you is that hey there's people out there who are truly invested in you know in in this and as as long as there's people like that this industry will continue to prosper yeah absolutely and i saw I saw some really cool products, some really cool things, especially for the mobile hunter. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited for 23 and to see, um, you know, how I might be able to implement some of this stuff into my current set. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's, this is the hunting gear podcast. Let's talk hunting gear. And really what I wanted to do is I'm going to kick it off to you and I want you to share, maybe we'll just kind of bounce it back and forth, share a product that you saw for the first time at the show that really got your attention and you thought was pretty cool? Yeah, so when I was heading to the show, one of the products that I wanted to see more than any other was the new climbing sticks from Latitude Outdoors. Have you seen those? I did. I was at the show. I hadn't seen them until the show, and uh, I was able to hold them in my hand and and, uh, take a look at them. Yeah. Yeah, so I talked to those guys probably about a year ago. Okay. when they were first talking about the sticks and they were like, Hey, we can't really say much, but here's what we're, what we're working on behind the scenes. And so there was a lot of hype. I mean, I'd, I've been waiting for a long time to see them. I'd seen some pictures online yeah. and uh, man, they did not disappoint. They're all carbon fiber sticks. Uh, I don't know what the step distance is between them, but they're super, super light. They've got a really nice attachment system Yeah, and uh, they definitely lived up to my expectations as far as what I'm wanting out of a climbing stick. Yeah. I believe, didn't they win an award? Did they get like second place or, or first place in some kind of innovation award or. I don't, I want to say I saw one of those little triangle trophy things with a picture of their stuff, but I don't know what they won. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they, they, they won an award. I, I know they won an award. I'm just not sure what it was for. And I think it was for their climbing sticks, but, okay. uh, so for the mobile guy out there, 
talk break this product down why why do you like it why do you think it's innovative all that stuff yeah a couple of things you know number one obviously it's light um that's one of the top things that i'm looking for when it comes to climbing sticks i'm currently using the old school full length lone wolf sticks and they're they're light enough and there's not been anything on the market as of yet to make me think I need something different, right? right? Like I need to go a different direction. Uh, these though, whole new material, you know, first of all, they're not made out of metal. They're made of carbon fiber. Right. Um, second, they're all one piece. There are no moving parts. There are no steps that move. There are no bolts. There's nothing. Yeah. They're one solid piece of carbon fiber, which, you know, is going to, going to cut down on any kind of wear and tear or maintenance that you have to do. I know with my current sticks, I have to pull them out and tighten the bolts every, you know, season or two to make sure that they're not going to malfunction or loosen up on me too much. Uh, The second thing is obviously because they're carbon fiber, they're so much quieter than any other sticks. I mean, I, I grabbed two of them and I was like, all right, guys, I need to know, can I clang these things together? They're like, yeah, go for it. So I did. I started knocking them together kind of worst case scenario in the timber Yep. and and they were, they were pretty quiet and they packed down super, super light. Yeah. Or tight, super, tight. Yeah. Yep. Super yeah. tight. Yeah. And so as a, I mean, as a mobile guy who does a lot of running gun and maybe the public land guy, that is all benefits, right? Um, yep. did you, yep. did you say, did you see anything on those sticks that you said, well, uh, I would do something different if it was my, if it was my business? You know, I, one of the things that I've liked about some other sticks is how they um, kind of have angled some of the steps away from the tree to give you just a little bit more space between your foot and the tree trunk. Yes. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more there as far as room. Mm-hmm. Um, and my second concern, I did have, did have a concern with them being carbon fiber. I figured that they would flex when you stood up on them. Yeah. But I, jumped up on them and jumped around and had uh, one of the guys there do the same thing and kind of took a little, little video of it. They do not flex at all. So I'm impressed with the, with the strength of the yeah. stick and how still they are, but I would have given just a little bit more foot room, yeah. um, you know, for, for the climb. Right now there's several other sticks and I'm not going to say the design is the same or the material is the same, but the, about that same size and that same shape okay that are currently on the market man i you need you need like for me i'm six i'm six foot tall and so i like you i like a bigger step with more space so like on the lone wolf uh, sticks that the old the old ones that uh, i have yes if you're going to compare the foot there's no footsteps on each side right on the lone wolf it's one or the other and you can make them you can go either way you want you know so some people look at that as a a negative i don't care i can take my four sticks and i can get i can get real high you know i can get to i want to say 15 to 20 feet depending on the tree if it's a straight up down tree with no branches and no curves i can get damn near 18 to 20 feet in the in the air if if it's uh you know um a lot of splits or a lot of branches and I have to maybe adjust a little bit more than I have, then I'll be lower closer to that 15 mark. But with those, those steps, those smaller steps, I need five steps to get 
equal distance. And so when I when I when you look at it, you you can say, oh, that those five sticks or those those four sticks, they they pack down compact, but I actually need five steps to equal the same distance to uh, as the other ones. And so now you're starting to say, hey, we sell them in packs of four, but in order to get what I want out of them, I would need five. And I'm not sitting here trying to take away from from that company. I'm just saying like I like getting high and I need a longer stick. And then you start talking, you know, so so I asked that question to some of the manufacturers at the show and they're like, "Oh, have you ever heard of aiders?" We do these aiders and I'm just like, "Well, an aider isn't a tree step." Right. It's not the no. same thing. So now you're playing with modifications and and accessories and things like that. And I and at this time, I just I'm not interested in doing that. Maybe maybe that'll change someday. But I don't you know, I don't I don't look at that and go, hey, I want to do that. Yeah, that's one of the big reasons that I still have the full length lone wolf sticks. Yeah, uh, is because I used an aider. I have used aiders quite a bit. Yeah. And and I don't like it, man, like trying to fish for the fish for the loop with my foot on the way down or, you know, the possibility of kicking out because you didn't get your toe into the tree just right. Right. That to me is a big, big downside. Uh, one of the ways that I found to kind of get around that is to use a long aider on my first stick. Mm-hmm. That way my first stick is mounted basically as high as I can reach Yeah. Um, off the tree or on the tree. And then the rest of them, I don't have to use aiders on the way up. So you can make up for it just a little bit. But you're right. If you're not running aiders, those short sticks are going to uh, going to be a significant bummer. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're packing in five, six now, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, um, the, and Latitude also makes uh, saddles, right? They do. Yeah. Yep. And they, that, that has been around for a while. Or yeah, least- they've been... A couple of years they've got i think right now they have like the classic and the method two or their primary saddles they didn't come out with a new saddle this year yeah okay yeah and so as far as saddles are concerned um man i went over to tethered and they have like a a saddle with training wheels on it it i don't know if you saw that but it's got the vest like uh, it's almost like a backpack right you you can wear it around and for someone like me dude i like that idea I like being oh, yeah. able to strap it over your shoulder. I feel like it probably adds a little bit more comfort and weight to your to your set. And uh, I'm really looking forward into messing around with those. On top of that, they also have a carbon fiber stick, and it is also extremely light. And some of these sticks, so I, I went to, I'm going to name three. The Latitude, the company, Tethered, and Timber Ninja all have these carbon fiber sticks now. And, dude, they are so crazy light compared to like any anything else that is out there it blow it like i don't know uh it makes me really want to start messing around with my setup yeah for sure dude you know you think back to the days when you lugged in like i don't know if you ever used like the muddy pro sticks or anything like that no no they made it super quick to get into a tree but they were so heavy i think they were three pounds a stick or something like that yeah. And so you look at, you know, seven, eight years ago, we're using three pound climbing sticks. And today, like the push is to get below a pound or right at a pound. Yeah. Which that's a huge weight savings if you're packing in three or four sticks. Yeah. And so my, my, for years, my setup was a lone wolf assault and four lone wolf sticks. All right. I didn't do any mods or really anything to them. Maybe I would tape up the, the stick or the, uh, riser on the, uh, I guess the, the, bracket on the stand 
maybe a little tape up front on the on the stand itself, but usually not. And you add those those five items together, and yes, I can get into any tree and I can balance my stand, and it's awesome. It is, you know, it's it is not light compared to what they're all like certain companies are offering today. And so, uh, honestly, I'm just, I'm just going to start messing around with saddle hunting more and more, I think, and and see, because every person I talk to, there's, I would say that one out of every 10 person who's tried saddle hunting doesn't like it. The other nine like love it. So I'm going to, and these are some people that I respect, like well-respected individuals. So I'm going to be messing around with that a little bit more. Um, so yeah, anything else you want to mention about latitude? Uh, nothing there. I, I will double down on the tethered saddle though, man. Yeah. Like that was my, uh, I had obviously seen a video going yeah. into ATA, looking forward to getting in that thing, but thinking that ah, might be a little heavy, but it was incredible. The comfort yeah. level was unlike any other saddle that I've been in. Yeah. The pockets that are sewn onto it is a huge upgrade from those old dump pouch kind of pockets that you use for a, for a saddle. So, um, yeah, love that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna share one. So Moultrie trail cameras, right? And they have a cell camera. And so have you ever had an issue where uh, maybe it's a cell camera, maybe it's another camera. Um, this this technology that I'm going to talk about is, is in their cell cameras, and uh, it goes through their app that you can, you know, you can check your pictures uh, on and things like that. But a piece of grass or a, a limb in the top of, of the screen just takes pictures, pictures, kills the battery. Uh, you don't you don't know it. You wish you had a way to go out there and and cut the limb down or, or pull the grass out and, you know, prevent that from happening. So I was talking to um, one of the people over at Moultrie and in the app, their screen is basically checkerboarded. Right. And so when something comes into one of the zones of the uh, of the screen, that is what and there's motion in that. That is what is that's what triggers the picture to take. Okay, so if you're noticing that on one of your cell cams, you can go into the camera now and you can deactivate certain zones on that screen to prevent that triggering from happening. So if there's a branch that's coming down and blowing in the wind, you can deactivate the zones that that branch is in. Or if there's a piece of grass, you can deactivate it. And that is that will prevent you from batter, like wasting batteries and uh, using data for pictures that don't matter. And so there's a whole bunch of like, like ways that I, I dude, I just think that is so cool that... It, Cause, cause I don't know how many times you've ever checked a trail camera, uh, or you've, you've maybe, I don't, do you, do you run cell cams at all? I do. I run, I run a mix of both. So cell cams and standard SD. Yeah. Same here. And so the, like I'm in, you know, you're in Georgia now and maybe you have a trail camera up in Wisconsin that's just oh, yeah. going crazy. And you're like, Oh my God, I, I wish I could stop this or I could, I could just quick pop out and do it. But you're at the mercy at that point of the setup and there's nothing you can do about it unless you're going to travel from Georgia to Wisconsin to, you know, change that. And, uh, 
so I thought that was, I don't know, from a technology and innovation standpoint, I think that in my opinion, that was some of the coolest technology that I saw in the, uh, in the, in that room. So, yeah, man, that's a huge step forward. Yeah. I had, so last spring I put out trail cameras for turkeys Yeah, and I let them sit for too long and the grass started to grow up along the field edge. Yep. I had over 9,000 pictures of grass yeah yep. to sort through been so there. that would have that would, that would have been absolutely huge for that now when are those launching um i think they're available man what do they say either in march or now or in march okay i think so soon yeah so soon like if not already available they're gonna be available soon yeah awesome yeah dude that's huge man yeah so another hot topic, and I'm just going to keep this on tr the trail camera, is there was a company, and I forget, maybe it was Moultrie, but I don't think, I'm not sure if it was Moultrie or not. Might have been Browning. I, I can't remember, and I don't want to say for sure, but now live streaming through a trail camera is here. Yeah, okay? I saw that. And so now we have the ability to go to your phone, select what trail camera you want and say, I want to see what's maybe on this food plot or coming down this trail or in this timber right now. And I, I, I think you can hear what's going on and you can see what's going on. And so now there's this debate, right? Is live feed or cell cameras or things like that? Is that fair chase? And so Man, I've never had a scenario happen yet with my cell cams where a deer showed up, I rattled, that deer came in and I shot it, or I'm sitting in my truck trying to figure out where to go, a cell cam sent me a picture and I made a decision, like an instant decision based off that. I haven't even been put in that scenario yet and most most of the time it's because the cell cams that i do have out are over an hour away from my home so the reaction time with that said i know guys who have gotten the a, a trail camera pick of a deer while in the stand they rattled uh the deer came in and they shot it or uh, they they saw a deer in their timber. They said, "Oh, he's in. He's there now." So they went into a stand the direction he was traveling, and luckily that deer came by. And so now the topic of fair chase is coming into play, and and it is is this. And I honestly don't know if I've formulated a view on it yet. Like I'm I'm still thinking about it. And so what what's what's your thoughts on on that kind of technology and comparing that to fair chase? Yeah, man, that's, it's so muddy because mm -hmm. I mean, anytime technology is involved in anything, ethics always lags behind tech, right? Because right. these things come out and they're put on the market before we've really thought through like, okay, should this be a thing or not? Yeah. So with these personally, I know the way that I will use a camera like that. So I'm inclined to say, let me have one on my food plot. It'd be yeah. cool to pull it up on the evenings I'm not hunting or whatever because yeah. food plot's an hour or two away. It's not like I'm going to bust it out there because a deer walked out at 4.30 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But I can see where they will be used, and they most definitely will be used in some unethical manners. Yeah. So I, I do think that it begins to take away 
the fair chase aspect. Yeah. Now, how do we how do we regulate that yeah. as far as, you know, being able to allow them for folks like I just want to show my kids some deer yeah, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the right answer is. I, see, the term fair chase to me even starts to get muddy because like a, a 300, let's just say 300, maybe even 200 yard rifle shot. That deer has no idea there's a predator there. That deer has no idea that there's, uh, you know, even at 200 yards, if the wind was blowing right to the deer, there's still a chance that you're still getting away with it because the scent has, you know, dissipated. So the term, what, like, what does fair chase actually mean? And from, from a gun hunting standpoint, you know, or, or using a crossbow or things where that, Every, everything that hunt, like even camo, right. Is camo fair chase. It, it's supposed to, uh, it's supposed to like, if, if we're going to maybe play devil's advocate here is camo fair chase, because what it's doing is it's, it's deceiving the deer's eyes and, you know, is, is certain sense, you know, uh, you know, a, you, one could argue that, oh my God, this deer thinks that, uh, we're tricking it. Right. So we're not just walking into the woods. We're not setting up and then hoping a deer. I mean, our tree stands fair chase because we're we're getting above them and they have no natural predators above them. Like all these crazy, like one could almost argue any one of those scenarios are not fair chase. And actually, uh, I think Friday I'm going to be talking with a, uh, a couple people maybe one or I'm going to do a two part series on this, this live feeding and cell cams and, and other products that may be unethical and, or not necessarily unethical, but that, that really walk the razor's edge when it comes to fair chase. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But you know, the, the, it's a, it's a hot topic right now. Yeah. And I, I think there's been some kind of effort in the past to, make it illegal to hunt a location where a cell camera is if you've gotten intelligence from there within a certain amount of time. Yeah. Uh, but how, and the, so, how is that regulated? You can't, you can't, some guy goes, well, uh, okay. If it's within a, a one hour period or a, a, a 24 hour period, all a guy has to do is say, uh, yeah, I was, I was there 24 hours later. He could have yeah. been there 18 hours later or one hour later. Like yep. nobody's going to shoot a giant buck and then tell the truth and say, Hey, I got a cell cam pick of this deer, you know, this day, like, and then, you know, do you really think that the um, department of natural resources is going to say, okay, well let's, let's spend money to investigate this or not. Yeah. And so uh, it just, it's, it's, it's going to get a lot weirder in my opinion before it gets, uh, and, and and really, why are people using cell cams to locate big antler deer? And this is just my opinion, and have a better chance of killing them, right? Yep. Simply because nobody would yep. give a shit if a doe showed up on cell cam, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. if if right. if deer didn't have antlers, would cell cams even be a big thing? No. Yeah. Not so, at all. Yeah. So it all comes back to this big antler stuff and I don't want to get into it, but, um, yeah. my bigger, my biggest concern with these, uh, live stream cameras, whatever comes of them is I can see those as fuel for the fire 
that is uh, eliminating the use of, of trail cameras in general for some states. Yeah. So places that are outlawing all trail cameras, this gives a freaking really good reason to opponents of trail cameras to say, ah, see, we told you so. Yeah. You, you, you got to ban them all because this is where it's going. Exactly. And I can see buying I can into see that it. argument. I can like see you it. Said, Certain states are already place. doing it. Certain states yeah, have already right. banned trail cameras. And that's so right. uh, in, in season. And so like there's, a, there's an entire industry out there that's going to fight it. And usually what it comes down to is money. And so, uh, whatever. Anyway, like I said, I'm going to talk about this later. All right, let's, uh, let's jump forward and go to, uh, another, uh, product or, or, uh, a company that kind of stood out for you. Yeah. Did you see the new XOP climber? The XOP climber? Uh, yes. And it, so I'm going to be completely honest. I looked at it, I saw it and I walked right by it and I, I did not it did not really catch my attention enough to stop and, and take a look at it. But I, I stopped, I looked at it. I said, it's something that I'll never use. And I yeah. just kept walking. So being in Iowa, have yeah. you ever been a climber guy? No. And, and I'll tell you this, why I've never been a climber guy. I take that back. I got a climber one of my first years. And so it's perfect for trees that are straight up and down, but when you start to realize that you need to hunt a specific location and not a specific tree, right? I need, I need a certain tree to get this up in it. Well, that just limits you to where you need to to go. And so for me, climbers after the, after I realized that I've, I have not used a climber since then. Yeah. So if I was only hunting in Wisconsin, a climber would never cross my mind. Right. But because I'm also hunting in Georgia and in Alabama where straight telephone pole pine trees are kind of the norm, you know, they're, everywhere. Yeah. They're, in, they're, yeah, they're the norm. I think this climber could be a little bit of a game changer for the public land guy that's used to carrying around his 30 pound summit climber. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's really light. It's really compact. Uh, I don't know about comfort level because, you know, when you're at the show, you don't have any way of really gauging long-term comfort. Right. Uh, but man, it's, it is the lightest and most compact tree stand or I'm sorry, climber stand, climbing stand that I've ever seen. I mean, it, it it's a significant step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you're a climber, uh, if, if you're uh, one of those guys who likes to climb, go check those out. But for me, like, like for me personally, I, I just, I don't, I'm not interested in it in, in yeah. stuff like that. Is it a good product? Probably. I mean, you can't put a shit product on, on the market these days without people tearing it apart. So if you are looking for a climber, it might be something to look into. Yeah. And you know, I, I've got to say this too, Dan, you're, so you're a lot bigger than I thought you were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not like, I hope that's not saying, dude, you're fat. No, no, it is not that at all. <laughs> but you're a bigger, you're a larger man in person than I thought you were. And at five foot seven, I think that climber would be awesome. Mm-hmm. At Dan's stature, I would say a climber, this climber in particular, probably not for you. Like I can't imagine adding another five inches to my height and being like, yeah, this is going to be a great fit. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, and even so like I, in the past, I, like I said, I've used the lone wolf assaults. 
and, and that is a smaller platform. It's not the smallest of, you know, like uh, I think Custom Gear makes a real small one. And there's some other, uh, like I think Moultrie makes a hang on that's, I think the, the M, like something light, the Moultrie light. Long story short, it's one of those um, real small platform designed to be micro, okay? And so for me, the assault is about as small as it can possibly get and still and feel comfortable in it. I mean, my boots are still hanging off the edge of the platform every time I sit down. Now, when I stand oh, up, yeah. I have to bring my, my feet back a little bit, but you know, it's better than what the alpha was. And that was just this big monstrosity that I, I used in certain scenarios, but as of right now, man, it just, um, and that's, that's why I'm going to start playing around with the saddle hunting game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. um, other than that though, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely see where that product could work in certain scenarios for certain groups of, of people. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So what other, what other things caught your attention? Like what, what was maybe the big one for the show that you were like this, you know, yeah. this right here is the thing. Yeah. So, uh, the technology with Moultrie was one of them. The next, yep. the next thing I, that caught my attention. And the cool thing about this is this is an Iowa company. There's a, uh, a camo clothing company and it's, uh, the name of it. Oh geez. What is it? Code of silence. Did you see that? Okay. I, I did. Yeah. So Coda Silence is a brand new uh, camo company. And they are, like I said, based out of Iowa. A lot of fleece. But what's cool is they have merino uh, implemented in some of their uh, garments as well. And so the the camo pattern is not Realtree. It, you know, not saying that Realtree is. You take take camo however you want to take it. But for me, I'll just be honest, when I, when I used to wear Sitka, uh, I felt that the Sitka, um, uh, what was the name of that? Do you know the name of the camel pattern that, that, that Sitka calls what they use? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, it was really light and blue and white. And I was, I'll be honest, I was getting picked off when I was wearing it yeah. in the tree. Yeah. And so on, and so usually I would wear their uh, sub alpine pattern in the tree and i just felt like i was getting picked off less until you know i messed around with some first light you know whatever uh, as far as uh, a camel pattern is concerned but then eventually i started going to solid colors and i felt like i was hidden more in solid colors up in the tree than i was wearing some kind of elaborate cap camel pattern and so what's cool about this uh, code of silence is it there is a little bit of a pattern there but when you first glance at it it just seems like it is a solid color it's a solid color it's uh darker than you know it has a little bit of light but it's a it's a darker browner focused uh camo and it just really caught my eye as, as far as what i would really like like if i was going to build a camo pattern in a clothing company this there are pieces in here that I would definitely, definitely choose. I mean, they have some Merino base layers they have, uh, and some, some mid mid weight stuff. Uh, they have a lot of big fleece type stuff. Downside of fleece is cockburs, beggars lice, 
right? So walking into the timber on a run and gun, I may not, um, may not like want to wear it, but pack it in. And then when you get to the tree, you can throw it on. Right. So there's, there's, there's that, but just the design of it, where the pockets were, the zippers, um, the bibs that they had, the uh, pants that they had. I mean, it just, number one, it looked comfortable. It felt comfortable on the skin. There's some other camel or uh, other companies similar to what they're doing that are out there that I've worn before. And you can put on the product and you can instantly start itching from it. And I, yeah, and it sucked, dude. And so ima- imagine sitting four hours and just being irritated by the base layer that you're wearing, right? Oh my so, God. Yeah. So, um, but that, uh, this coat of silence gear did not have that, uh, did not have that. And so, um, I'm actually, uh, I talked with the owner, he's from Iowa here and, uh, he's going to hop on the podcast at some point to talk about the company but that was that was a product that I could definitely see myself wearing. And I'm not like I'm in a pretty happy place right now with my my gear. Like I wear Dickies or um, the actual the pants that I actually wear are called Arborwear. Uh, it's like a denim focused pant. I can put my base layers underneath of it. Um, it's like a jean, right? And so, uh, match that with my boots. And if it gets real cold, then I can put my boot covers over top of it or, or uh, my my bibs over top of it. But when I'm walking in through all the nastiness, the thorns, the the beggar's lice, it just doesn't seem to stick to the denim type harder fabric. And so a lot of companies are, you know, they're like, uh, let me see, what's another example? What's another example? Oh, um, Mystery Ranch came out with a new backpack that was all this like fleece and and, uh, fabric. My mind instantly goes to it's just going to pick up all the shit that I don't want it to pick up. Okay. Yep. You know, and I I treat my I I treat my equipment pretty harsh uh, throughout the year. But and everybody goes, well, it's quiet, right? Oh, yeah, that's great. It's quiet. But who is making so much damn noise that it's going to scare deer away like that? Like, what are you doing in the tree that's going to warrant that product, whether it's an article of clothing? Like, man, this year I shot my deer and I was wearing a puffy jacket, you know, a, 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 a navy blue puffy jacket from Eddie Bauer. And it was it makes noise. In the tree, yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes noise when you move around in it, but it's not so much noise where it's like this giant signal for deer to throw their tails up and, and run away in fear. Like, I don't know what pe- like it's it's just a marketing scheme. Like, you if you're gonna be a good hunter, you got to sit down, be quiet, and not move. It's pretty yeah. simple. And if you do those things, you can wear just about anything, right? And and yeah. and and even in high pressured states like Michigan or Pennsylvania. But what I will say is if you're even smart about it and you put your tree stand or your saddle where you can use the tree as a blind and it just masks any additional movement. So anyway, the whole point of that, that rant is that a lot of companies are going to, Hey, it's quieter, but 
is it more durable? Right. Like I yeah. want, I will, I would select a, like a pack and a, uh, a pack and a, uh, a clothing to be more durable and let, like, I don't, if it's a little louder now, if it's like a bag of Pringles, like, uh, you know, like, uh, a bag of chips, um, yeah. that was making so much noise, then maybe there'd be an issue, but I have yet to, I have yet to hear a product that is so loud that it just scares deer away. So it, it, it's a cool thing to think about. And, uh, and so anyway, this code of silence, I just really like, dude, I think I'm going to pick up some of their Merino, like they have a, some of their base. Now it's not a hundred percent Merino. It's like a blend, but it has Merino in it. And so I, I think I'm actually going to pick up some of their, some of their gear, man. It, I mean, it looks pretty sweet. Yeah. It looked really good. I, I went by and felt it and all of that. The, um, the only thing that, that kind of scared me away was like you said, the, yeah. the soft feel of the outside. It's like, oh my gosh, that's going to get, that's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. And I saw that mystery ranch backpack and I was like, yeah, that would, I would be throwing that away after one hunt. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't want to pull all the crap out of it. So while we're on the topic though, I'm going to slide into mystery ranch because I have their, uh, I have their current whitetail line, uh, feedback uh and or their uh their it's called the tree house it's the backpack they have yep and it's yep. a badass man it is not only is it durable it's the same one that they have currently but the new version of it has some really cool um some really cool things like updates to it you know, like the fleece take what you want out of that it's quieter you know, maybe it's going to pick up some more stuff um it being on my back probably would help the fact that it's not going to pick up so much stuff. But, yeah. you know, if you, if you're dragging it through somewhere, you're setting it down and, and just, it, you know, it's going to collect stuff throughout, you know, throughout the um, year, but they've done some upgrades, you know, so they, they introduced this past year, a whole new line of whitetail packs and man, they're pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. They're, they're, they're a, a really cool, um, I mean, they're, they're durable. Like I have the Metcalf pack that I use on my Western hunts. Dude, I beat the shit out of that thing and like sliding it down the, on the ground, trying to, you know, leaning up against it, using it at, as a glassing, you know, pack, all that stuff. And the, another cool thing that they have is on some of their packs, uh, it has the ability to pop up. It's almost like one of those traveling suitcases. The frame pops up and you there's a screw on it. So you can actually screw your spotting scope or your binoculars to the pack and use it as a tripod while you're glassing. And I thought oh. that, dude, I thought that was sick, man. I thought that was right. awesome. Dude, yeah, I, I haven't seen any of those. Now, I saw their booth. I didn't go by there. Uh, like I said, I just saw the one pack, but... Um, man, backpacks are one of those things that just, I don't know. I've never been able to justify like sinking money into it, but I'm always yeah. frustrated with what I've got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, <laughs> absolutely. And, and so when I got the, when I got the, um, mystery ranch tree house, there's some things I like about it. There's some things I don't like about it or things that I would change, but it overall, man, like, I don't think there's anything out there really. I mean, uh, uh, tethered has a backpack 
that like you know they have a whole system now and so that one's pretty cool it may like for me it may need to just be a little bit bigger like i said because i i pack in all of my overalls and my heavy coat when it gets warm and so um you know it's just something i'm always tweaking i'm always looking for the most efficient way to transport all of the stuff i need for a hunt to the tree and so uh it might be one of those scenarios where now that I'm going to be hunting out of a saddle more means I'm going to have, uh, you know, be able to carry more some of something else, like adjust the way I, you know, pack my, my overalls or the way that I pack my, uh, my boot covers and, and my heavy coat. Uh, so when I get to the tree, I can adjust that. But uh, yeah, so there's that. Yeah. Did you see any of the, like more modular pack systems while you were there? Um, other than what I they showed me from Tethered and um, what they showed me from uh, Mystery Ranch. You know, I, I walked by Bog. I walked by, um, man, what, what was the other brand that was there? Uh, There's another backpack brand, or it was a brand that had backpacks. Anyway, I walked by, uh, no, uh, Badlands had some, some backpacks that looked pretty cool, but you know, outside of that, nothing, you know, nothing really caught my attention. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, uh, Elevation had some packs with like Molly on the outside with these little extra pouches that you could add or take off depending on what you want to have. Yeah. And I really like that moving forward, you know, for things like my, uh, either my camera or my uh, rangefinder, that kind of stuff that maybe I don't want to just drop down into my pack. I wanted to have a devoted pouch for it. Yeah. You know, having the ability to strap that to the outside, um, I think it's going to be pretty big. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh, next product. Anything else on your end that you uh, that you were excited about or, or that you liked? Dude, that huge bike with two front wheels. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, That's taking... That's taking the e-bike to the next level. That thing is, yeah. that's a mon- Dude, there was another electrical machine there. It looked like astronauts would use it on the moon. It, uh, yeah. uh, it was like a platform that you stand on, and then you're holding on to it like a scooter. But it, it was four wheels, and uh, that thing looked huge too. But what company made that two-wheel Man, I wish I could remember. Yeah. I don't know. I They said it technically qualifies as an electric moped, though. Okay. I think you're automatically ruled out. Of public land with it. Of a lot of public land with it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I don't see the... I, what's the benefit of having two front wheels? Yeah. Stability? They, they, talk, they, they talked about the stability uh, that that gets you and kind of the, the rugged of the terrain that you can cover with two wheels you're able to move a little bit slower and mm-hmm. so you can get over some some worse stuff yeah but i mean honestly how rugged is it going to be when you're on private ground um i yeah. don't know yeah i i don't like I, there's only so far you can take a truck right then there's only yep. so far you can take a four-wheeler but i don't see a vehicle like that double wheel bike if it's like, I don't see where that would replace something because it's electric, right? It is. Yeah. So I don't see where that would 
replace a dirt bike or a four-wheeler or uh, an ATV because yes, it's narrower. It has, I mean, just, just imagine a bicycle with two front wheels, like two bigger fat tire front wheels. That's what this is. And so, yes, it might be able to get down some more narrow trails, but I, I just don't see it, it replacing what's already out there or, or maybe functioning better than a, 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 a single front wheel e-bike. So no, yeah. no, I, I don't either, man. And in fact, the one e-bike that really caught my attention was the one that breaks down in half that like, falls Oh yeah. Down. We talked with that guy. Me and you talked yeah. to that guy that one day. Um, yeah. I ho Hodag Hodak. Was that it? I think Hodag was the, um, they've got the mock scrape stuff. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I know what you're talking about. It can fold in half. And when, when I went to go purchase e-bike an e-bike, I actually looked at that one. But the wheelbase, the wheelbase and the power of that bike just didn't really match up with the quiet cat that I ended up going with. Yeah. And so the, but you know, when I, when I went to South Dakota this year with my e-bike, I was able to, I was able to get it in the back of my truck, but on the way back, I had to, I, I just hung my tire out the side of it out the back end of the truck this thing basically goes down compacts down to the size of a, a big cooler now would that would that have worked on my whitetail spot absolutely it would have worked at my whitetail spot but i don't know if it necessarily would have worked in the south dakota environment that i i just don't think it was big enough to and, and powerful enough to do that so i don't know yeah, your tires are a good bit shorter on that thing as well. Yeah. But I hunt mostly out of an SUV. Yeah. And so, you know, having the ability to throw that in the back rather than have the big bike rack on on the back of my vehicle hanging off. Yeah. That that to me was kind of the the allure. Um, you know, and then also I, the I the e-bike that I used this past summer a good bit was somewhere in the 95 pound range or something like that. Yeah. Which is fine, but man, when you're trying to lift that thing chest high to get it onto the rack on the back of your vehicle, Absolutely. 95 pounds heavy for a five foot seven dude who's you know trying to get that thing up to my chin, basically. Yeah, and that one weighed 25 pounds less at 70 at 70 pounds, I believe it was total weight. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. So I, you know, I was easily able to pick it up. And, you know, I could, I would have definitely been able to pick it up and put it in on a tailgate yep, and slide it back sure. into the car. So yeah, that's, sure. that was a, and, and that brand is not, I don't think it started in the hunting industry. I think it was outside of the hunting industry and then someone brought it in as a skew for hunters or, you know, outdoorsmen. So that's why that was at the show. I'm trying to think like outside of. The vibe, obviously, th this year was everybody introduced a saddle. Most most companies introduced a saddle. Uh, there there was a lot of saddle. That was the big, you know, thing that I would say. Um, anything else before I get into some final thoughts here on your end of any products? Yeah, one one thing I'm really intrigued by. I think it was called Hang'em High. It's um. It's a trail camera mounting system yeah. that allows you to mount trail cameras up high over your head. And 
those are really cool. You can screw your camera mount into the tree and then just pop your camera right on there. They're really, really easy to use. They, they look like they wouldn't be, but they really are. I've got yeah. to do it a couple of times. But they've got a system now that's public land legal. And oh, so it straps to the tree? It, it, so essentially, it's this, it's this metal bracket that you would reach up and hang it on a branch. Okay. And when you screw the, when you use your hand drill to, to get, or your drill to get it clamped down, it clamps onto the branch of a tree. Almost and like it, a plumbing, you know, on uh, when you, or in vehicles, you put the tube, like the, the male end over a female end, and then you slide that uh, clamp over top of it. And then you use a screwdriver to tighten it. And it has the, the uh, cutouts in the strip and, and yep. the screw tightens around yeah I, I yeah yeah they use it kinda in plumbing like too yeah it's kind of like a it's kind of like a, a giant claw yeah but that thing's legit so when i i walked by that booth several times and i was just like this is irrelevant for me as primarily a public land hunter yeah but then i saw the bracket that they had and i was like okay let's let's check this out and i i think that's a good option for you know getting getting your your trail cameras up off the ground because on public land i've had a lot of trail cameras messed with i have yet to have one messed with that i had up high though one that I've had up high has been safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Absolutely. Great point. Um, they've been around for a while or that, yeah, that technology has been around for at least five years, six years or something like that. And when yep. I, when I saw it at the first ATA show, uh, that the first ATA show that they were at, I think the company may have been bought and sold a couple times since then. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but yeah, really just really cool. Um, I'm walking through all of the, um, I'm walking through the, I'm, visually right now I'm walking through the rest of the show and I'm trying to think if there's any other products outside of Bose that really, I don't know, that caught my attention and I don't necessarily think anything else did other than what we've already talked about. Um, uh, my favorite arrow company never goes to those shows. Uh, my, uh, my broad, the broadheads that I use, they were there. Got to talk with them. Uh, Bowtech was there. I shot their carbon bow. It, it was a decent bow. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna because you didn't, you didn't shoot any bows while you're there, correct? No, I didn't. Okay, all right. Any other products you want to talk about before uh, we get into the bow, the bow side of things? Yeah, last one, and this is because I'm a turkey hunter, and I know, Dan, you <laughs> probably are not going to give a rip about turkey hunting. Uh, so, Nukem hunting blinds. Okay. You see those? Nukem. And that they're they're a, they look like a teepee. Yeah, they look like a teepee. Yes. And, you know, when I first saw them, I was like, that looks really, I don't know, man. It's It's small. It doesn't look like it would be very effective. But I went over and I checked them out, kind of understood the placement of these blinds. And if you've got a second person, how you handle that with another blind. And uh, I like them a lot, man. Yeah. I really do. They they pop up easy. They fold up easy. And I think they're going to be just the right amount of concealment for, you know, dragging around a blind in the turkey woods. Because you don't need the full concealment of like a, you know, totally surrounding blind with a with a roof on it to be good and useful for turkey hunting. Yeah. And that's kind of what I had been looking for when I first saw it. I was like, ah, it doesn't do everything my other blind does. But I, I think it's, you know, after, after doing it, after sitting behind it and having my hands on one, 
I think uh, I think I'm gonna grab one for the spring. Okay, all right, that's cool. Because um, how 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 compact do they get? Do they so basically as compact as a smaller than a Coke can around, mm-hmm. and they fold those sticks fold down in half. So I think they're like two feet long. Okay. Or something like that. So, I mean, it gets very, very small. Is it pop-up where you can just, like, open it up and it bloop, pops up? Not totally, but there's – so I th- the sticks break down in half, and I think they got the little bungee cord in there. Yeah. And then you've got the middle stick that you just put into one receiver, and when you put it into that receiver, it basically is popped up at that point. So, gotcha. I mean, it's, it's up in less than – 15 30 seconds gotcha okay cool cool yeah man i'm always interested in stuff that will uh not let the turkey see my kids moving when i'm going into the you know <laughs> going into the woods so yeah i i saw that I, they may have, i think they may have won an award too i think i've seen i saw but the only issue i saw with that blind was the window for the blind seemed if you're if you're sitting down on the ground the window for that blind just seemed too high to use. So you would need a chair or something else to bring in with you. And and so it's not necessary. It's, it doesn't, in my opinion, match the run and gun style. If you're going to sit with your back to the tree blind that you would need or some type of concealment, because you still need to bring a, you still, you still need to bring a chair in with you or some kind of chair to, to use that window funk properly. But there might be something else I'm missing there, too. Yeah, so they've got the two different sizes. So one is made for a chair, and then one is made for sitting on the ground, and it's a lot lower. Yeah. And you can open those bottoms up because it's just the two pieces, the two panels kind of. Yeah. You can open that up more and kind of get – that brings that um, brings that window down a little bit lower. Okay, cool, cool. All right, Uh that's a yeah that's an interesting product anything else that's it man all right okay so like i said hoyt was not there matthews was not there um uh not prime uh elite was not there and then there i'm sure there were some other bows uh, manufacturers that were that were not there and so i went around on the last day and i shot well, come to think, you know, someone mentioned Athens and I must have walked by their booth because I didn't I didn't shoot. I don't think I shot their 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 bows. I, I shot Obsession. I shot Martin. I shot PSE. I shot Prime. I shot Bowtech and Gearhead. So six, six bows, six flagship bows. OK, you so, didn't shoot the bear. Oh, yep. I shot bear, too. Yes, okay. I shot. Okay. I shot the bear. OK. So I, I, I just, I don't know these, this is such an, an objective, right? Is that the right word? Like uh, objective opinion on bows because subjective. You, yeah, subjective. Yes. Because you could, you could shoot the same bow at a different brace height or no, excuse me, at a, at a different a draw length and have a completely different experience than what I, I might have. And yep. so, you know, I, I ask for the flagship bow and usually the flagship bows come in two different, um, uh, axle to axles. And it's usually, uh, like a 30 
these days it's a 28 or a 30 uh, somewhere in there and then uh, a 32 to a 34 uh, if not longer depending on how many uh, you know axle to axles they decide to go with and so I would like I I went and I shot what I would usually like to shoot so I usually like I've shot in um, axle to axles in the past that are 30 and under. And I, I, I just have found that 32 roughly is my sweet spot. So 31, 32, uh, I think I've even shot a 34, which was okay. A, a 33 in the past as well, but 32, I, I feel is my sweet spot. And a lot of companies this year offered an axle to axle that was 32. So first I shot the obsession and I shot the Martin. They're owned by the same company now. And so those, those, as I would say, a second tier manufacturers, they were a really good bow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were good. Yes. There was some noticeable hand shock in, in there. Uh, it didn't feel as tight. The draw lengths were, or the draw cycles were not great but okay. And so I felt like, Hey, I have no problem telling some, like I could definitely sight in that bow and kill a deer with it. Easy. Right. Nice. Yep. Um, then I went over to bear and I shot bears. Um, and, and some people would look at bear and go, Hey, bear, bear is a top tier company. You know, I've shot bears in the past that were really awesome bows this one however i i shot let me see let me pull up i have i have pictures of what i shot and i can tell you exactly um where is it here it is gallery okay so the martin mtx is the one i shot and that one some hand shock but you know you put a sight on it you put a rest on it and you get it tuned to your liking, I'm sure a lot of that would, would maybe it would go away, right? Uh, the next one I shot from Obsession, it had a name, but it, I took a picture of it, and it didn't have the name on the bow, so I don't know what the actual new, their new bow was. Uh, and then the bear, I believe it was called the Execute 32-inch uh, bow, Echo, 32 Echo Execute. That's what I shot. Dude, I, I like I I feel and this is just me. Bear's been around a lot, you know, enough to where I feel like that bow should have been better, man. And and I'm I, I am not a bow expert, but I I I look at a company like Bear who has been around for a very long time and when your bow is similar to a uh a Martin or an Obsession, like I don't know if that brings Martin and obsession up or if that brings if that brings bear down you know what I yeah. mean so yeah. those three yep. those three bows were so similar in in feel that they, I I'm just gonna lump them all in one category as okay yeah okay yeah so so then I went over to my buddy skip he is now the sole owner of gearhead archery and if you have never seen a gearhead, they do not look like any th any other bow on the market, right? Um, I shot their thirty inch. I think that's the 
they have they have longer axle to axles, but the 30 inch is like their flagship bow. Um, it's the same design. It's like it's all based off of center. Everything, everything is center, and so it has dual risers. Uh, it, it's just a, a unique design. So if you're listening to this, and you want to know what a gearhead looks like. Go go Google gearhead archery. Don't it, they have all the way down to like an 18 or something crazy axle to axle? I think it's 14. I mean, Jeez. yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's a very yeah, it could be. Yeah, I think it's 18. You're right. And yes, and so they have. It, it's all based off of very short axle to axle, and the design is cool. The design is cool because there is no hand shock in these bows, right? The all of wow. all of the um, inefficiency, in my opinion, is absorbed in the dual riser. Okay. Oh yeah. In the limbs, so so it's really. But in my opinion, it lacks like. The, and I know the the word I'm about to use is hard to define when talking about compound bows, but I feel like there's just a little bit lack of, of power there. Yeah, okay. okay. I have killed deer. In 2017, I killed my buck in two does with a gearhead bow. And it shoots, I mean, it, it, it again, it comes down to, uh, it comes down to, a, a tuning proper arrow proper broadhead and practice right i'll say this in my opinion i will put that gearhead above the other three bows that we've already talked about oh no if, kidding if, okay. if you were going to rank them i would put that gearhead bow above bear i'd put it above martin and i i would put it above obsession it's just not a traditional looking compound bow. So a lot of people look at it and go, eh, it's a gimmick, but it's not, a, yeah. I'm telling you right now, it's not a gimmick, right? It just lacks a little bit of power. Um, and so I, I feel like if there's a little bit of innovation that goes into this bow and they really mess around with it a little bit, they're going to have, and I think a lot of it has to do with their cams. Like if they get into a more aggressive cam system, they're going to be able to start, you know, competing with some of the big boys uh in in the industry anyway yeah do you think they're they're using their current cams because of that zero shock factor that they've got trying to hang on to that potentially but i think their design is so good that the the more aggressive cams would allow uh, that or a cams or maybe a smaller brace height would allow for a um uh would allow it to absorb continue to absorb that energy and so still keeping the hand shock at bay yeah what's the brace height on the one you shot a 30 no the 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 axle oh, axle brace height oh geez that's a great question uh i don't know i i think it's it's like a seven okay something like that it's it's right around there okay, okay so then we come to the next three bows and I'm going to come, I'm going to lump them into, uh, another category, which I'm going to call elite. Again, I'm repeating myself. No Matthews were there. No Hoyts were there. No elites were there. Okay. Okay. I shot the, I shot the, um, the Bowtech, the, the new carbon one. And it's like originally when Hoyt came out with like, I think Hoyt came out with one of the first carbon bows, dude, it, I felt like I was shooting a metal pole 
Like it would just, there's so much vibration in it. I didn't like it. And that kind of turned me off on carbon. So I finally picked up this bow and this new uh, bow from, or the new uh, carbon from Bowtech. And I shot it. Uh, It is, it's, it's good. I mean, I would, I'm going to rank it up uh, above the gearhead. Okay. It's, it's a really good bow. Now, the other bows that are not carbon that they have, the one, like, I, I shot the Solution this past year, the last two years, actually. Amazing. Amazing bow. No hand shock when properly tuned. Dude, that, 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 it, it's, it's been one of my favorite bows on, like, that I've ever hunted with. There's just something I really like Bowtech bows, okay? And so, I'm going to put that up there as well. There was very, there was very little Compared to the the bear, the Martin, the Obsession, there's little to no hand shock, but there's a there was a little bit with it being a carbon bow, and the term okay. everybody uses yeah. the term everybody uses is dead in the hand. It was dead in the hand, ish. Okay, so there was just a little bit, little bit there, um, but the other bows that I shot from them did not. They were perfect, right? As far as hand shock, I love Bowtex draw cycle. Um, I shot the thirty-two axle to axle again. That's in my wheelhouse of something that I would actually buy and use. All right, so Bowtex, like not a not a fan of the carbon, but the other risers that they have, money loved them. Okay, nice. nice. The next two were prime and elite and so back in the day when i was shooting um no excuse me prime and uh pse excuse me so pse and dude man i'm telling you what one company that i i have really like i used to hate their bows was pse i just they and they were built for speed they were built for power short uh, brace heights they just wanted to blow everybody out of the water pse man has made some really big strides and they are putting out bows now that are just in my opinion just real they're they're the the top of the top and so last year when i shot or no two years ago when i shot all these bows determining what bow i wanted to go with for you know to to get for the upcoming season and I ultimately went with Bowtech because of the draw cycle. And in the, in my top three that year were Matthews, PSE, and Bowtech. And I'm telling you right now, man, P, like, PSE is just, in my for my taste, is just a little bit away from improving their draw cycle. And And the only reason it's a rougher draw cycle is because it's a shorter brace height. And so there's a ton of pull at some point in that draw cycle. And I, I think you have the ability to adjust it on their cam now of whether you want it all up front or if you want it at the, maybe the tail end of the draw cycle. But nice. yeah, so the smoothness of that is there. And so, but dude, when I when I let the arrow go, zero hand shock on that bow. Zero hand shock on that bow. And so, dude, it is... It was money. I'm not gonna lie. It was it, it it was a really good bow. And what did I take a picture of it? I think I did. Um you know what? I did not take a picture of that that PSE that I had. Anyway, I forget the name. It's their new flagship bow. It's badass. Shot it at 32 inches. 
Um, and then, so my favorite bow of all time, it, two of them, it's it, it really the top, the top bows I've ever shot were right off the bat. It was my Bowtech Tribute in, in 2007 or eight or something like that. I bought a brand new Obsession Bowtech. I loved that bow. Uh, and then I, I bounced around through some elites and some um, some other companies. I've never had a Matthews. I wasn't a huge fan of of Matthews, but then uh, I picked up some primes. And the Prime Logic was a badass, a absolutely badass bow. I loved what that bow felt like at full draw. Absolutely loved it. I believe it had limb stops on it. And so I, I just loved it. And then I went to the CT3, which is a 33-inch. I think it was a, yeah, a 33-inch um, axle-to-axle. That bow was awesome. And then this this new Prime, that uh, the Revex, or the Revex, R-E-V-E-X. Dude, that bow, again, just like PSE, was like dead in the hand. You, it felt... I felt confident holding it. And so I didn't know how that boat, like how that company was going to go away because their bread and butter was this dual cam system, two cams up top, two cams on the bottom. And now they went away from that. And now there's a single cam bow again uh, with some pretty cool technology that I I would say you should go, you should kind of go check out. But man, again, a really good bow. And so um, the top three, Walking out of that show, of the ones that I shot, top three were Prime, PSE, and um, and definitely Bowtech. Okay, I just I lean towards Bowtech a little bit more because at full like the draw cycle, and so just a huge fan. I like my favorite walking out of there was probably Bowtech, but I would without hesitation feel comfortable going into a PSE or a prime. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But I, again, and I, and just to follow, just to end it. Yeah. The bows all, I could, I could feel comfortable. There was no garbage. There was no, nothing garbage there. Right. Yeah. I, like there wasn't a, cause in, in the past I've, I've drawn back on some, some bows, let one arrow go, and then just said, no, I don't I don't want to shoot another arrow out of it. I shot multiple arrows out of all of them. There was nothing there that was garbage. But uh, I'll tell you this, I, I, would, I could feel confident grabbing any one of those bows, putting a sight on it, putting a rest on it, and going and killing a deer. No, no issues at all with any of those. But the top three were what I just mentioned. Nice. So even the, even the lower tier bows, you would you'd give a passing grade. Yes. Yeah, I would recommend I mean, and I think most of those are are at a at a lower price point than some of the high, like the bigger ones like a PSE or a uh, uh or the Prime or the Bowtech. I think those those bows were a little bit more expensive. So, if you're if you're price conscious, then those other bows, uh, you know, 100% confident I could I could tune those and and uh work you know, work up something and, and feel confident with practice shooting, shooting that. Yeah. I, I took a long look at the bears and I, I wanted to get by and shoot some of those. I didn't get a chance to, 
they have one that is in like that four ninety nine price range, which I currently shoot a Matthews, so they are not in the four ninety nine price range. Right. But the idea of keeping that barrier to entry low for guys, yeah, to get you know a decent bow. Yeah. I was really hoping to get my hands on one so that I could say, hey man, these things are you know yeah. great four ninety nine. They may not be you know one of the top tier you know lines or whatever yeah. but they're they're a great shooter but unfortunately i just didn't make it by there yeah did you didn't shoot any of their other ones for bear uh no i just like for for time's sake i went with just the flagship uh bows okay. yep yeah yep. it is crazy how fast time flies when you're at the show oh yeah yeah like you get there and not, then it's lunch and then you yeah. have one meeting and then it's time to go and so yeah yeah um, so that, that was my, uh, talk on the bow, on the bow side of things. Um, I was kind of, while I was talking, also thinking about anything else there that really kind of caught my attention. And, uh, the only other product that I want to bring up is code blue sense. Okay. Oh yeah. And yeah. so it was, it's a very unique product, uh, they are able to, and I don't know these. They they must be caged deer or process. Like I I don't know how how this works with wild game laws. I'm actually going to have someone from Code Blue come up and discuss all that uh, on this podcast. But they have one tarsal gland in a package. It's an actual deer tarsal gland in a package, and only one deer. Uh, one buck's urine in that package. So it's not like a mix of a whole bunch of different um, urines. It's one one tarsal gland and one buck on one specific, you know, in one package. And so that that intrigues me from just a, um, a quality control standpoint of sense and urines. And so when when you can take, like deer are so good at a, using their nose to identify things that I, I feel like if you were going to use a scent, a one-on-one type product like that would, I don't know, take say what you want about scents and how they're used, would perform better than a, a synthetic or some kind of blend. It has to. Yeah. I mean, it would it would have to in my mind. Yeah. So, yeah. Dude, couple that, uh, couple that tarsal gland with the old scent slinger. Oh, and- oh, I forgot about the scent slinger, <laughs> dude. That was money. That yeah. okay? So let everybody know what is the scent slinger. Yeah. So the scent slinger was this little like slingshot, but it's not even a real slingshot. It fits over your fingers so that your hand becomes the slingshot, basically. Yeah. And you put these little bubbles or packets of scent into the slingshot, and you sling it over to where you want the scent to be so that you don't have to walk over there to it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, man. And then the name's what got me, the scent slinger. Yeah. So whoever came up with that, put your, put your index finger and your thumb up in the air that the scent singer has like a a piece of leather or some fake, some kind of material that slides over those. There's a rubber band in the middle of it. Just like when you were in high school flinging stuff at your friends or at school, you put the scent on a rock or whatever it is. What what is it? Do they come with the little? 
there's like these little like balls, almost like paintball things. Yeah. That you and you just fling them out there in in the wood yeah. into the woods or into the CRP or wherever it is the field and and hey, whatever. Who knows? I mean, it, it could be the I, I new wanna, acorn cruncher. I want to sling a tarsal gland this year. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Uh, except when it when it backfires and smashes you in the face, <laughs> and you, then you uh, have, your beard is full of uh, uh, buck urine all day long. That would suck. <laughs> it especially suck if it worked. Exactly. Yeah. And here you are going, man, how'd you kill this buck? Dude, you'll never guess. I used the scent slinger. Yeah. And the scent, sl- the scent slinger kills them dead every time. Every single time. Every single time. All right. Josh, any final thoughts on the products in the ATA at the ATA show this year? Yeah, man. Last thing, it wasn't a product thing that stood out to me. There's this guy there who gave a talk on conservation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hunting right. company involvement in right. conservation. Right. And, uh, man, I thought it was really good. So you brands, you folks that work for companies, if you're a rep, you need to be thinking more about conservation. And I know a guy named Dan that might be able to help you out with that. Right, right. Yeah. So to elaborate on that, I gave a speech at the Archery Trade Show Media Summit and and so here that here what I what I got a kick out of was I went last and I was <laughs> under the assumption that you're always supposed to save the best for last. And so there's guys like Trent Marsh, um, who's been in the game for a while doing a, a variety of different things. And then uh, Will Brantley, outdoor rider, very good at what he does. These two guys are are very good at what they do from marketing and uh, writing and um, content creation and things like that. And then there's me, just basically a Southern Iowa hillbilly who um, who got up there. And I think, what did I say? I said, I said, uh, I said, I don't know why I'm going last. This is like Led Zeppelin opening up for Nickelback. And yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so and so just like a really good band and then a really shitty one. Anyway, yeah. uh, I ended up um, giving a speech on uh, basically local conservation. And the, the premise was, you know, if you if you want to actually participate locally and you want to uh the benefits of participating at local city, county, state uh, level conservation efforts is you can not only participate and maybe even dictate what those conservation efforts are, but you will actually be the beneficiary of those. And so you're, you will be able to go enjoy that piece of public land that has had some kind of conservation work done on it, or, you know, uh, clean trails or pick up trash or whatever the or, or see ducks come back into a wetland that had some uh, restructuring you know it, it was uh, that was the whole point of it and then you know companies how it benefits companies is if you are a company and you're saying hey we really want to give back why not give back to something that's right outside your front door you become the hero in your community you are able to benefit from that. And then the customers that are close and in your town see that and go, oh my, this, these people actually care. And so, uh, I don't know, I just saw it as a win-win. And, and when they asked me to do it, I jumped on the opportunity. Yeah, well done, sir. It was good. Mm-hmm. And the last thing was, was the whole, like the network as a whole. So you were there 
And then the Missouri Woods and Water guys were there. The Ohio guys were there. Uh, uh, Mitch from Pennsylvania was there. Dan and his wife Sam from the Nomadic Outdoorsman and Western Rookie, they were there. And so it was a uh, really... It was awesome to meet everybody in person. We had a really good dinner. There was an award ceremony, and so yeah, which was hilarious. And uh, it was fun, man. And I really enjoyed getting to meet everybody. Yeah, it was a good time. Good times had by all. Yep, exactly. All right, well, we've been talking too, too long here. Josh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. If you guys are listening to this and want to listen to Josh Moore on the Wisconsin, a Georgia guy. He lives in Georgia right now, but hosts the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast and the How to Hunt Deer Podcast. Go give those two podcasts a listen, man. Really good content coming out of there uh, and in everything else out of the, the network as well. So, Josh, thanks again, man, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thanks, buddy.